Markham, Richmond Hill, Vaughan. From everywhere you are. Aurora, Newmarket, East Willemberry. This is The Feed. Georgina, King, Whitchurch, Stovall. The Feed is York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to the people that live and work here. Welcome to The Feed, I'm Ann Romer. Fashion icon Jeannie Becker stepped into her 70s earlier this year with enthusiasm and excitement. Two months later, she was given a diagnosis that would change her world. Jeannie's life light went out, darkness prevailed, but not for long. Ever the fighter, she decided that for her, breast cancer would not be a battle, rather a healing journey. No more fear. Instead, hope and positivity. As we mark the start of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we check in with the fearless and fabulous fashionista Jeannie Becker. And Jeannie Becker joins us now on the feed. Welcome to the show. I am so happy to hear your voice once again. Oh, so great to be with you, at least this way. I mean, I know we're not face-to-face, but uh, just great to be talking with you, Anna, Mm -hmm. as always. We will be soon. So I just want to go back a little bit in time to September the 9th. You got to ring the chemo bell after completing your 12th treatment at Princess Margaret. What was that like for you? Well, it was it was great on some levels, of course. Yay! I didn't have to uh, go for chemo anymore. Uh, that being said, that's just one leg of my journey. The first leg of my journey. I still am looking forward to, if we can say it that way, uh, surgery. Surgery is going to take place for me probably around the third week of October. Um, I still would have radiation after that, um, so that's going to take me, you know, right through probably till the new year. And that's three weeks of radiation. And I'm also on this miracle drug, thank God for its invention, called Herceptin. And that's something that started at the beginning of my chemo treatment. Every three weeks, I get intravenously this amazing drug called Herceptin for the type of breast cancer I have, which is HER2 positive. So, um, you know, that I will be getting, you know, until June. Uh, so, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm waving goodbye to uh, the Princess Margaret Cancer Center uh, that soon. I'm um, not that I, you know, I, I, it has such a special place in my heart now, that amazing place where I've been getting my treatment. It's just a, a, a healing temple, if you will. Um, so, it, you know, it, it's not like I, I can't wait to get out of that place. You know, anyway, mixed emotions about ringing yeah. out of that bell for sure. You know, I want to go now back to your diagnosis. When you heard those words, what went through your mind? What what went through your heart? Well, I mean, I don't even think you can articulate it. It's just a, a feeling of dread, fear, um, and so a big, you know, light is switched off in your life temporarily, temporarily. Because um, those first few days of, of darkness, if you will, um, and, and fear, um, were eradicated once I met my doctors, who are all rock stars, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. They're just amazing. And, you know, once I, I realized that my cancer was caught early um, and it was not only treatable, it was curable, uh, that, that really gave me a lot of hope and a lot of uh, faith. And I also, very early on in the journey, made the decision that, uh, you know, we're all dealt these crazy cards in life, um, but it's up to us, you know, how we want to play them. And for me, I'm the child of Holocaust survivors, so there's no question that I'm a survivor, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to survive this. So putting a positive spin 
on, uh, you know, this very daunting journey has been, uh, of, you know, of paramount importance for me. And I'm just facing it with uh, absolute positivity. And that's been very comforting. I want to talk about your parents because you have said that your mom, these were wise words from her, expect the worst and you'll never be disappointed. Your father used to say to you, never be afraid, never give up. Yeah. Well, I must say my mother's words of advice, expect the worst and you'll never be disappointed. (laughs) I'm not sure that's a great thing to dwell on during this time for me. I'm not expecting the worst because the worst would be, you know, a terminal kind of cancer, and I'm, I'm certainly not expecting that. <laughs> um, my mother used to say that to us to kind of protect us because she kept telling us that life was full of disappointment, so don't bank on anything too much because she didn't want to see us, you know, crushed or, you know, just disappointed in general. My father's a motto, though, is something that uh, obviously has resonated with me throughout my life, um, now more than ever, perhaps, you know, that message of fearlessness and tenacity don't be afraid and never give up. I mean, I tell that to myself, you know, every day, you know, 10 times a day. Uh, and, and, and that's really part of what's helping uh, carry me through. Your language has changed. You and I have known each other for decades. And as we spoke just before we began this interview, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm blown away by what you know about breast cancer now. And this was not in your in your wheelhouse prior to the diagnosis. So what changed? Um, well, obviously, when you're diagnosed with something that you've only kind of heard about from others, you start doing your own research. Um, and you do have to be careful, though, not to do too much. Because while, yes, the Internet is full of all kinds of wondrous things, um, there are also a lot of rabbit holes you can go down. And you got to be really careful about Googling much <laughs> because with all the little aches and pains and, you know, whatnot, twinges that, that one feels, you know, when you know that you're living with this disease, you start to try and find out, well, what does that mean? What does this mean? And, you know, wow, you hear all kinds of crazy stuff on the Internet. So you do have to be careful about that kind of research. But just, you know, talking to others um, has really helped a lot. Certainly talking to my doctors we're always there to answer questions and the nurses. I mean, and all these great people that I have access to uh, by a Princess Margaret Cancer Center. I mean, that's, that's just been phenomenal to me. Um, it's interesting because I was holding the hand of a very dear friend who was living in Montreal uh, the past couple of years as she was going through her breast cancer journey. And uh, she was very different than me. You know, she's not a public person, so she was merely keeping it to herself. She told precious few people um, that she was battling the disease. and uh, But I was there every day calling her, making sure she was okay. It was also during the lockdown, during the pandemic, you know, so not a great time to go through anything, especially if you're alone. So um, I learned kind of a, a little bit through her as well. Uh, and then just when she got the all clear from her doctors was right around the time I got diagnosed. Wow. So that was pretty, pretty freaky to say the least. Um, but maybe in a way it kind of prepared me. Um, it certainly made me realize that this can and does happen to anyone. And a, a lot of people, you know, one out of eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer in their lifetime. Um, but again, as I say, it's caught early. It's not only treatable, it's curable. Everyone better get out there and get their mammogram. And now I say if you can get one annually, go for that. I was getting regular mammograms only 
go every two years because that's what I was told to do. I wish I would have been getting them every year because I would have caught it even earlier. Um, but I just went in for a routine mammogram. I, I felt like on top of the world. I was feeling 100%. I was like I, incredulous when they told me they found this small mass. I just couldn't even believe it. But, uh, you know, that's the way this disease uh, presents itself sometimes. You know, cancer doesn't hurt unless it's, you know, metastasized and gone to other body parts usually. But, you know, initially you can't really feel anything and you just don't know. So I think, boy, there could be all kinds of people walking around this world right now that are living with God knows what in their system. But they don't know because they're not getting tested. They're not getting checked. It's pretty disconcerting. And, you know, part of it, and and I'm one of them, I have been reluctant to have a mammogram recently. It's been a couple of years, and and I'm ashamed to say that, but I'm inspired by what you've just told me, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying not to be afraid. But that fear causes us to not do things we should and to do things we shouldn't. That's right. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, it, all of us know it's not the most pleasant experience to having a mammogram. You know, your boob kind of gets squished <laughs> in this weird machine, and it's like, ah, you know, you just can't wait to get it over with. Um, but this, this is the only way that they can really t- detect early what's going on inside you. And if we keep putting these things off, I mean, it's just terrible. I mean, by the time sometimes that you actually would feel a lump, or those of us with so-called dense breasts, you know, can't really feel these lumps very well at all. And, and people with dense breasts are more inclined to, uh, to get breast cancer. So you've got to take care of yourself. And you've got to overcome that fear of, oh, I hope, you know, that, that's what we're all afraid of. Oh, what if they do find something? I'd rather not know. I mean, this is not a case of ignorance is bliss. You can't view yourself and your health that way whatsoever. You just can't. It's like, Stupid, immature, ignorant to do that. You really absolutely have to be on top of things. There are so many wonderful new treatments now, new inventions. So much progress has been made in the area of of breast cancer and breast cancer diagnosis and and treatment. And it's just phenomenal. So I strongly urge everyone to just, you know, take care of yourself and, you know, get in there and, and at least... Get your mammogram to, to see what's going on. It's of paramount importance. You have shared very openly and very courageously, and with humor as well, your journey so far. What does that give you back? Oh, boy. What does... It's... I, and I tell you, I've always believed that the most precious gifts we can give one another are our own personal stories. So I've been very public about anything that's gone on in my life. I've always uh, shared... and. and in this particular instance, the the love and the support, the strength that's come back to me from, you know, followers on social media, from, well, certainly from friends, but without question from even these strangers, <laughs> these uh, these so-called fans or, you know, people who grew up watching me. I, I so appreciate each and every message that they send me, each and every emoji that they, that they send me. <laughs> I am so overwhelmed by the support, and that is such an important, vital part of my healing journey. I just don't think I could do it without that kind of uh, love and support. It's been phenomenally inspiring, Uh, and uh, the best decision I ever made um, was the decision to share my story. Uh, You know, I'm a public person. I have a public platform. I wanted to use it for some good, 
and uh, it, the journey now is just filled with all these silver linings mm-hmm. because of it. So, uh, I mean, it, it, it was a, a great, great thing, I think, that I did, uh, deciding to share it. I know it's not easy for a lot of people. They wouldn't even consider it. Um, you know, and I don't blame them. Some people are incredibly private. But for me, um, I think I'd be a hypocrite if uh, I, I, you know, made my career as a public person for then all of a sudden to go into some kind of hiding. I think that would be such an enormous burden to bear. I don't think I could do it. You've had the support of the nation, of the world. Anybody who is aware of you and all the mighty things you've done over your career as a as an on-air person, but also as a as an as an individual, that support so important. What about the family support and your beautiful, incredibly talented, loving daughters? Well, there's no question that uh, you know. Wow, how blessed am I to have this great supportive family and my, and my sister who lives in L.A. I only have one sibling and she's far away physically but you know we're in constant touch too and she's been incredibly supportive my partner ian who is just an absolute godsend i mean he's my rock and and really there for me every step of the way uh came with me to most of my chemo treatments all except for two that's because my daughter joey who drove all the way here from the yukon Mm. to be with me during uh my journey wow. um she came with me to those two treatments and she's she's been great it's great to have her here my daughter becky who lives about 15 minutes from uh, my country house and you know at our family farm so we're out in the country a lot together and spend a lot of precious time together uh they're they've just been great i'm very 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 blessed to have uh these amazing people in my life and they definitely are helping uh see me through as well. You turned a lovely age, and I really, really think it's fantastic. You turned 70 last March, and you kind of felt that you had the world, that it was your oyster, world by the tail. You know, everything was going well, and you've had a, you've had a, some challenges through your life and your career, that's for sure. And you and I talked about that when we joined forces in conversation a while ago, that and then within months, your life changed. Do you <laughs> do you look at life differently now? And and that's for a number of reasons, turning 70, but also having a breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, you know, so, I mean, I guess that reality kind of does rear its head on some level. Ooh, 70, I am getting older. And as my mom used to say, <laughs> uh, getting old isn't for sissies. <laughs> you know, so you got to toughen up a little bit. I was ready to write my book about, you know, being empowered with age and it's 70 and I've got the, you know, the world by the balls. I thought, you know, I really thought I was, uh, you know, in such top form. I had no idea that there was this horrible disease, you know, literally eating away at me inside. Um, however, shortly after that diagnosis, um, that, you know, the world did come crashing down for me temporarily. Um, and you know, what can I say? I had just turned 70 and all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm suddenly not as well as I thought I was. That kind of does a number to your head. Um, but that being said, in some ways, have and this is going to sound crazy to you, I'm sure, but having this disease has kind of empowered me in a way too because eradicating my fear surrounding it, that's a very empowering thing to do. When you're not afraid of cancer, you're not afraid of anything, mm. or so, so it seemed. I mean... You know, we're, we're all walking around like, oh, cancer, oh, the C word, oh, cancer. You know, when that makes you quake in your boots, as, as it does for so many people, um, you know, that, that's pretty paralyzing. But when you realize that, you know, 
cancer can be beaten. Cancer, some cancer, not all cancer, of course. I'm, a, again, very, 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 I can't say it enough, fortunate uh, to have a, a, a cancer that can be treated and, and can be cured. But still, it, it, you know, it just, I don't know, it, it gives you such, um, it just gives you such faith, you know, such faith in science and the medical system and how far we've come. And, it, and, and it's empowered me because it's given me a real sense of purpose now that I didn't have before where I can really help maybe lighten the load for others. I can help inspire others. I can help eradicate the fear for others. I can show others that, yeah, you know, I've, I've got cancer. I'm living with cancer. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to fight the good fight. And, and I, I definitely am, am going to come out on top, or at least that's what I truly believe with every, every fiber of my being. And if that inspires people, if that attitude inspires people, and, you know, perhaps they're inspired to adopt that attitude for themselves, well, you know, I think that's the biggest gift I could give people. So it really, you know, and, and just, just to raise awareness about, uh, you know, cancer in the first place um, has given me uh, an incredible feeling of, of, of satisfaction that's very gratifying that I can help shed a little light uh, on a, 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 an area that's been rather dark. It's interesting. This has gone from a battle against breast cancer to a healing journey for you and a cathartic experience for you and for everyone listening to you, including me right now. I can't thank you enough for your words of wisdom, your passion for life, and your honesty about trying to get over the fear of the word cancer, and, and this, in this case, breast cancer, and inspiring and encouraging others to take care of themselves and you do what is there, and that's to have everything checked in your body, in particular for breast cancer, a mammogram. Thank you, Jeannie Becker, from the bottom of my heart. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. So much love. I think that finally that's the one thing that really you do realize when you get this kind of diagnosis, or I realized anyway, how very much I love life. I'm just so in love with my life. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that. That's the thing I'm really fighting for. That's the thing I'm hanging on to. Um, and, and that's just the, the kind of light that I need now to, uh, to, really, uh, to really light my way. Uh, it, it's just, um, it's been an incredible journey thus far. I've learned so much. I'm a bigger, braver, better, stronger, wiser person because of it already. Beautifully put. Jeannie Becker, thank you. Thank you. When we come back, keep the school commute a safe one. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Kevin Frankish is on the road again with the CAA and the safety patrollers. It is time once again to have a chat with Teresa DeFelice from uh, the CAA. How are you, Teresa? I'm good, Kevin. How are you? I am well. We are almost through the first month of school for the school year. And so today we really want to talk about the... Uh, the commute to school for kids and the role CAA has played in this uh, for 90 years, which is pretty amazing. 
It absolutely is. It's I always say it's one of the the hidden gems that people don't realize about the CA and their CA membership. And we see them, you know, we may not realize that when we see these kids, we're driving along, you know, at dismissal time and things like that, and we see these kids with the orange vests. That CAA, th- those are those are kids who are benefiting from a CAA program. Right. And actually, a number of years ago, uh, we've actually converted to lime green vests because that is the color that's been designated by the province uh, for school zones. So there might be a few orange vests still lingering about, but the uh, the bright lime green vests are sort of associated with school zone safety and in particular, our CAA school safety patrollers. And the CAA school safety program has kept students safe in school zones since the 1920s. Um, yes. And and Ontario is about 1929. Do you mean to tell me there's been a need for school for safety on the way to school going back to the 20s? Yeah, well, you know, back in the 20s, the, the automobile was just becoming a more prevalent feature on our roads. Um, and so, of course, learning to navigate uh, traffic, you know, so then you had bicycles, you had trolleys, you had horse and carriages still, and then the advent of the, the automobile. And so the program was born out of a need to say that, you know, we need to really focus on kids getting to and from school safely. And while we'd love to say that that need uh, hasn't needed to continue, uh, unfortunately, it still uh, does for a variety of reasons, because, you know, traffic patterns, driving, all of these things have continued to change. And I would say that this program is even more relevant today than it was when we started it in 1929. Let me tell you a story. When, I, uh, when my kids went to school, and I had four of them, uh, I was on the school council. One of my jobs was to help out in the parking lot by directing traffic. Oh, my gosh. It is the wild, wild west. What is it that happens to parents when it comes time to drop their kids off or pick their kids up? It becomes a little bit of a, it's a me mentality, right? So, I mean, I need to either get to work or, you know, a parent needs to sort of think about if they're dropping off multiple children. And the the whole point is getting their child closest to the doors or closest to the school they possibly can, getting in and out. But it is navigating a very tenuous situation. And, And so, you know, it really does strike the need in terms of some of the surveys we've done. It's like, it's everybody else, but yet, everybody's experiencing the same problem. So we know that school zones uh, need to be thought of differently and treated differently by drivers, including the parents dropping off their kids. Yeah. And, and this, when you, especially, you know, and I think the orange vests are a good reminder, right? Uh, not only are, do they make these, the, these uh, school uh, patrollers more visible, but they're a reminder. Say, hey, wait a minute, there's kids here. And, and, and safety needs to come uh, to front of mind. And I know when I see them, I immediately just, I pull my foot off the gas. Just It's, it's just a reaction to, to say, okay, am I going slow enough? Uh, you know, just for that little short stint. So I think they serve several purposes of visibility. And, and what's really special about this program is not only are children learning, you know, road safety skills and how to keep their peers safe, but they're learning leadership skills, really becoming ambassadors uh, in their school for being road safety, how to handle difficult situations, even conflict situations, how to be mindful and caregiving of others around them. Um, they get duties that they have. They have to perform on, be there on time. Some of them get uh, even higher duties. They're, they're involved in the scheduling and the training that has to happen. Um, and so we've seen patrollers over the years go on to become police officers, politicians, 
the, our own CEO was a CA school safety patroller. So they, you know, this leadership uh, mentality that they learn at a very young age lends throughout their lifetime. What are we seeing in, in the, uh, the school zones? Uh, what are the big problems? Well, uh, you, you, you called it a little bit of the Wild West, and we are <laughs> seeing a variety because all school zones, you know, first of all, schools, you know, were built different parts of the, of the province, you know, different spacing, right? Older Toronto area versus new developments. But, you know, we're seeing double parking sort of stopping where uh, people feel it's con- convenient. Um, speeding is also an issue, right? So, you know, people in and out, but also people trying to get through and, and shortcutting or getting to and from work. Maybe they have nothing to do with the school zone at all. Um, stopping in undesignated areas is also a really key issue that, that parents complain about, that people are just stopping where there isn't a place to stop. And so, you know, there's a whole body of, of work being done, what's called active transportation and getting kids to school safely. Uh, and how do we ensure that kids are going to and from school? Because parents, only 37% of parents in our survey said they feel safe with their kids getting to school. And, and so this is why we have more people driving their kids to school. Plus, we do have kids being bused. Um, and, and this is creating more traffic around the school. So if we could get to a point where school zones really are protected and safe, more people would feel comfortable allowing their children to bike or walk to school just the way it used to be. And we would be creating a safer situation for those kids and peace of mind for the parents. The other thing, too, the other side of this, we're talking about drivers a lot right now. These school safety patrollers also are good for reminding the kids of the rules because we know, you know what? I, I remember telling my kids, you know, look both ways before you cross the road. No, they would just go running across the road and, and you'd have to yell, wait, stop, look. So kids are going to forget the rules. They're excited. They've, they've had a good day at school. They want to run home and, and, and do something. And they're talking with their friends. It's time yeah. to see their friends. Yeah, exactly. Right. So all caution goes out the wind. And, and you know, we, we need to get back to some of those basics of really teaching uh, road safety around schools. It, it needs to be practiced. It needs to be a habit in order for instinct to kick in and say, oh, I should stop before I run across and look both ways. But the, the, the role of the CA school safety patroller, in particular, the foot patrol is, you know, they're not directing traffic. They're stopping those kids from actually running out onto the road. And we have so many over the years, we, we do awards for kids, patroller of the year. So many of them have pertained to kids who stopped a child from running out onto the road before, you know, an oncoming car, um, you know, thinking about things like even on the bus, protecting the driver who, you know, went into an anaphylactic shock and being able to administer an EpiPen because we have a robust training that these kids have to go through in order to have this duty. They have to pass the test. And so it, it's a very well-planned, well-thought-out program with all the parameters of getting kids to school on foot and on bus, but also dealing with parents and or caregivers who are dropping off their children and how to create that protection zone. And the program has evolved in these 90 years as well. You know, for instance, kids no longer are put in harm's way. Not that they ever were put in harm's way, but they're not going to go in front of active traffic. Uh, you, you know, they're going to stay safe themselves. 
Correct. They don't have stop signs once upon a time and there may be pictures floating around. They don't have stop signs. They stay on the sidewalk or on either side of, let's say, you know, the parking lot that you talked about that you were, you know, on patrol for when you were a child. And their their focus is on the kids to be aware and, and, and you know, recognizing what dangers are around and stopping the kids before they, they come into conflict with those dangers. Um, and, and that's really the focus. They are, they're not on the roads. They're not directing traffic. They are protecting the students before the students enter those places where those conflicts can happen. It is a fantastic, fantastic program, Teresa. We're excited. You know, the last couple of years have been a little challenging with, you know, having to put in special measures at school, reduce numbers in school. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we had over 900 schools in Ontario that uh, were operating the CA School Safety Patrol program. Uh, we're seeing the numbers climb back up this year, and we have over 300 registered and, and working on the training and, and getting these kids uh with these special roles and we're working continuously on growing the program across the province. All right, Teresa DeFillies from the CA. Thank you. My pleasure. Take care. When we think about the origins of flight, our minds tend to conjure up images of the Wright brothers, Wilbur and Orville, ancient grainy black and white film of what looks like a plane made of paper and sticks taking off just a few feet above the ground, a flight of fancy and one for the history books. But you know what? It goes much further back than that. Our next guest is a renowned and respected Canadian professor whose father flew planes in both world wars. Dr. Jacqueline Gibbons was so inspired by what she read in his flight log, she wrote a book about the evolution of human aviation. Spread your wings from Icarus to 1912, the men and women. I have the feeling we're about to meet a future best-selling author. Hi, Dr. Gibbons, Jacqueline. Welcome to the feed. So glad to have you with us today. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you. It's a treat, and Spread Your Wings. I love that title. I think it's so appropriate. The book is incredible, and it's so deeply uh, researched, and there's heart and soul into it. It's almost, if you don't mind me saying, it's almost a bit of a love letter to your father. He was a great influence when it came to writing this book. Tell me why. I, uh, I, I learned the details of his flying in the First World War. Uh, he flew float planes during that war, off little aircraft carriers, which were really trans, uh, ferries uh, with a box on top carrying three or four little aeroplanes, and they were raised and lowered into the raging sea, um, and uh, you'd have to stand up in your cockpit and stretch for the hook and attach your plane and then be hauled in, rather like a little uh, creature that gets brought back to its nest by its Mama. (laughs) (laughs) That's a beautiful way of putting it. But obviously his words and what he did and how brave he was, but also his handling and understanding of the aircraft that he was flying, that meant a lot to you. Yes. um, People in those days just didn't talk and didn't speak about all the things they did. And I really learned about these things through his logbook, his pilot's log, and also through going into archives to uh, read the ship's log on which he uh, sailed and uh, really just um, uh, going in that route. 
So a jumping off point for you was reading his flight log, but why go back in time and try to help us understand the evolution of human flight? Why was that important to you? Golly, it's crucial. It's the dream that so many people have to leave this earth to just have a bit of space. And there's only one place you get that space, which is upward. Of course, you can go below, but it's a different sort of space. So it was to do with that admiration of birds, the admiration of how they swoop and, 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 and dart and are so clever in the air. And that was an inspiration for all of the entrepreneurs that I looked at. All of the, the pilots were fascinated by how air could help them be sustained in the air. Can we go back in time? Your research helped you identify the early, early, early origins of flight. What, what were they? Who was doing what and when? Well, um, there are the myths, and all the myths are, 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 are like Icarus and so on. But then the realities, like the monk in the ten hundreds who threw himself off his abbey roof in uh, Malmesbury in England and uh, thought that he could fly with his wings that he'd built. And he, of course, landed uh, rather soon, sooner than he expected, um, and lived to tell the tale. And it was recorded in the manuscripts, which which were written by a monk who who lived not very long after that. So that was one story. Leonardo da Vinci's name comes up in your book, and it comes up in many, many looks at history. But in particular, I'm fascinated by how you've connected him to the history of flight. He wrote a superb little, little notebook, which you can hold in the palm of your hand, which is in Milan, and it's about bird flight. And he records in there how that inspired him to build a hang glider, and he illustrates his hang glider, as we would call it today. He also shows vertical flight helicopter-wise in, as, as he talks about uh, flight. I just want to add, at the same time, he was painting the Mona Lisa. I mean, you know, this man was just with a, a foot in all camp. When I think about flight, as mentioned in the introduction, I think about the Wright brothers. So we go from the monk who jumped off the roof. We, we think about Leonardo da Vinci. We move to the Wright brothers. So there are centuries between all of these forward motions when it comes to flight. Why did it take so long for it truly to come together? Probably the nature of the engine. Hmm. And then working out that you don't flap your wings. You need, you can't. You haven't got the strength to ultimately flap forever. And so you need something to help you flap. I think that's the bottom line. I think about women and flight. And, you know, of course, the first person that one thinks of is Amelia Earhart. Uh, But there are so many others that you talk about and that you chronicle in your book. And names that aren't familiar to me, but maybe to others, Harriet Quimby, uh, Edith Berg, uh, Blanche Stewart Scott, and others. How important were were they to the, the, the getting us off the ground, literally and figuratively? Harriet was crucial. She crossed the channel as the first woman in 1912. Um, Scott was amazing. She would perform death dives uh, from 4,000 feet. She would uh, fly under bridges upside down. We're talking 1911, 12. Um, she uh, 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 She was an unstoppable pilot. 
you call this book a tribute to the human spirit, whether you're a man or a woman. What do you mean by that? A sense of strength and optimism about being able to do it. Uh, a sense of the special space that pilots all talk about when they're in their cockpit and have taken off from the earth and then get on with it and they're in their special container which is their safe place hopefully <laughs> we also look at other great people from the past and a great canadian alexander graham bell and his wife mabel how did they contribute to this oh that's the contribution in Canada. Hmm. Mabel, his wife, was an absolute incredible woman. Uh, she was his partner in every sense and participated in their discussions about how do you make flying work. Um, she, she was, in every sense, uh, a, a key contributor in the group, the AE, the, 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 uh, the group that was based in Nova Scotia, which ultimately came up with the Silver Dart. So Spread Your Wings, in, in essence, is kind of two parts coming together. So one part is the evolution of flight. The other is how man and woman, men and women, learned to adapt to what they were flying or indeed improve the, what they were flying, the, the aircraft. They'd come back with feedback to yeah. their various makers, and often if they were the maker, they'd just come back and uh, share the pros and cons. Uh, there's a woman balloonist in upstate New York who would use, uh, like flags, and flap these in order to uh, uh, do direction properly. And uh, she'd come back and share this with her husband, and they would come up with a better design and then she'd go flying up again. Uh, she observes Lake Ontario and makes... She's very eloquent about her description of being up there and being free. Yeah, I think that's the essence right there, what you just said and what she felt, being free. There's a freedom that comes with flight that is inexplicable and that, that it's, it's so commanding and demanding and and yet so gratifying. Tell me about your experience. Have you ever piloted a plane? Would you ever like to pilot a plane? <laughs> <laughs> I did one one lesson off, uh, off, off the island here yeah. thousands of years ago and it was dreadfully expensive and I was a student at the time and I just got distracted and got on with my other work. So... <laughs> But you're, the next best thing is writing about it. And you have been touched by by flying and, and that world of aviation in your life, your father, obviously, but you have others in your life who are immersed in the world of, of aviation. My brother was a career RAF. He entered in in the end of the Second World War, so he'd have flown uh, Spitfires and Mustangs, and later I know um, uh, Meteors and Javelins. In fact, he would... Uh, on occasion, uh, circle around the house, waggle the wings, and then disappear. So that was, you wouldn't allow that today. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And Jacqueline, speaking of today, what do you think of, of air travel today? I, I know it, it, for many, it's like boarding a bus or boarding a train. It's, you know, kind of chock-a-block and, and routine for many people. 
I still get excited at the the smell of jet fuel and the the sound of takeoff and the feeling of of flying. I'm not the pilot, I'm the passenger. What do you think about how sophisticated it is today? It's uh it's it's extraordinary, but I enjoy the smell of airplane gas <laughs> and <laughs> and and I definitely am completely concentrating on the takeoff and landing. Not not from fear because I know that I'm in very safe hands, but just because it's so brilliant, it is so clever. And it's not all computerized when you're coming in and going out, necessarily and very often. What have you learned about the person who wants to be a part of the world of aviation? What drives them to either want to be in a plane or piloting a plane or air traffic control, any aspect of aviation? What is it in the human the individual that makes them want to be a part of this incredible world? Just desire, near, and above all, your desire to move in that direction and go and knock on doors and work with people who are in that world because that's what you want to do. Jacqueline, who should read your book, Spread Your Wings? Anyone who's curious about how we motivate ourselves and how other people are motivated, how we uh, push ourselves, how people overcome barriers, uh, how, how we supersede the obstacles which we're constantly facing in all our lives, of all kinds of obstacles. That makes perfect sense to me. Your website, spreadyourwingsbook.com, to order a book. Dr. Jacqueline Gibbons, the author of Spread Your Wings from Icarus to 1912, Flight, The Men and Women, you are a force. Thank you, Dr. Gibbons, for joining us on the feed. You are fascinating, and the book is terrific. It's my great pleasure, Anne. Next, the comic book world adds Olivia Newton-John to its catalog. Shaliza Bacchus with the tribute. We're headed into Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and legendary singer and actress Olivia Newton-John lost her battle with the disease in August. September 26th would have been Olivia's 74th birthday, and in her memory, Tidal Wave Comics has added her life story to its tribute biography series. Publisher Darren Davis joins me with details on this stunning comic book. How are you, Darren? doing well how you doing i'm great thank you thank you so much for joining me so let's just start off can you tell me how the idea for this comic book came about we started doing biography comic books in 2008 we did them more political we did them with a female empowerment angle to it so we did um hillary clinton and sarah palin and so whether you liked either one of them you kind of had to appreciate their accomplishments as a woman and so it became this female force series that we ended up doing, and those did really, really well for us. So we started showcasing different women that have made a difference around the world, whether it was Oprah or, you know, Mother Teresa, because I'm the publisher, and Olivia Newton-John is my favorite of all time, um, ever since I was a kid. Uh, We did a comic book with her uh, called Female Force Olivia Newton-John. When she passed, we definitely wanted to do an updated version or, you know, just kind of making it up to date and kind of just really showcasing her life, her love as a mother, you know, as an activist and everything. So she is such, she really is a female force. Yes. And someone we will always remember. And 
As you were researching this, I'm sure you had some pointers from her uh, before she left us, but in your research, did you find things out about her that maybe you didn't know before? I didn't know that they were possibly going to be working on Grease 3. They, mm. uh, they never found a script that was worthy of them. Honestly, it's just, it's untouchable. You can't mess with a good thing. You can't mess with the original. I agree. It's my favorite go-to movie to feel good. And just the music alone. I mean, it's chart hitting, it's it's broken records and everything. Yes, that is definitely the case for so many people. I mean, Grease was my mom's favorite movie. So I grew up watching Grease. I know the words to every single song and I'm sure so many people relate to that. And that is why Olivia Newton-John is so missed, I feel. Yeah, she's definitely an icon. And especially with the physical album that she did, even just breaking her way in from her real career being a country music artist and her getting flack from the, uh, the country music industry. You know, she paved way for people like Taylor Swift and, you know, Shania Twain to go into the pop arena. So she has broken barriers for a lot of these women. Now, coming back to the comic book, do you have maybe like a favorite part of it or is there something particularly special that you think readers will appreciate? I actually got to interview Olivia Newton-John on the comic book, the original one that we did, and nobody will ever, 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 ever hear that audio recording because I just like geeked out. I was like, uh, uh, like, oh my God, I love you so much. Oh my God, continue your concert. And I've had a, the opportunity to meet her a couple times and she's just, what you see is what you got with her. She is probably the most nicest generous celebrities I have ever dealt with in my 20 years of doing this. But I worked in entertainment television back in the day. And even back then, she was just such a nice person. And the way that she gives back to like the cancer community and all that type of stuff, and her sharing her story and not being afraid to share stories. Yeah. And with that being said, proceeds from this comic book are going to go to her foundation. Yeah, the ONJ Foundation, correct, for her family. And yeah. Amazing. And if our listeners want uh, some more info and where they can purchase the comic book, where can they go? They can go to Amazon Worldwide. It has it. It has different versions. We have a variant version on Comic Flea Market. But yeah, mostly on Amazon is a great place. And TidalWaveComics.com is the best place to check out more. Amazing. Thank you so much, Darren. Thank you so much for joining me. We are so excited about this comic book. It looks stunning from what I've seen so far. Yeah, we're super proud of it. I mean, the artist Pablo, and when we did the epilogue, you know, Pablo ended up doing that as well. Uh, we had Michael Frizzell doing the writing on that part. It's, people can't see this, but I actually have the original signed by her. So she really embraced us. And yeah, so I think she'd be super proud. And and especially get, getting this book released on her birthday was uh, kind of a goal for me. That's exactly what we love to hear. We are always going to be celebrating and remembering the legend that Olivia Newton-John was, and especially during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Darren, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. After the break, ready, set, vote. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed. I'm Ann Romer. The municipal election is October the 24th and advance polls open next week. For the first time online, Glenn Perkins with the details. 
Starting this coming Thursday, October 6th, advance polls for the October 24th municipal election will open for in-person and online voting. To tell us more, Todd Coles, Vaughan City Clerk. Todd, who can vote and how do we check to confirm our name is on the voters list? Well, thank you, Glenn. To be eligible to vote in the 2022 municipal election, uh, you must be a Canadian citizen. You must be over the age of 18. Uh, you need to be a resident of the city of Vaughan or an owner or tenant of property within uh, the city of Vaughan or the spouse of a, one of those owners or tenants. Uh, and then finally, not being, uh, being prohibited from voting from uh, under any other law. If uh, voters want to confirm if they're on the voters list, uh, they should visit voterregistration.vaughn.ca uh, where they'll be able to confirm that they are on the list and that their information is, uh, is accurate and up to date. If, some, if one of our voters has, has moved recently, changed their name, or, or even turned 18, year, 18 years old recently, they really should check to make sure that they're on the list and that the information is correct. Um, we will then, uh, through that process, ask them to uh, upload uh, some of the required identification confirming their name and address. Uh, and then ultimately we will get back to them with a confirmation that they've been uh, added to the voters list. Advance online voting starts October the 6th and is available until the 20th. Can you explain that process? Sure, Glenn. So this is going to be the first time that Vaughan residents can vote online in a municipal election. So uh, many of them may be wondering how this is going to work. So uh, to vote online during the advance vote, which is, as you said, it runs from Thursday, October 6th to Thursday, October 20th, uh, they can visit vaughn.ca slash elections and click on the vote button. To access the online voting platform, they need to be on the voters list. And if they are, they're going to be receiving from us a voter information letter uh, in the mail by the end of September. Um, this letter includes their credentials uh, and a secure PIN that will allow them to access the advanced vote platform. Uh, a voter will use the PIN to log into the platform and then essentially follow the steps along, uh, along to, uh, to submit their, their ballot. Um, one thing, Glenn, that we should note that if, if they did register to vote after Wednesday, September 7th, they're not going to receive that voter information letter in the mail and will need to pick up their uh, online voting credentials uh, from Lawn City Hall here at uh, 2141 Major McKenzie Drive or at one of our voter assist centers that will be open during the advance vote period, one of the five centers throughout the city. For the residents who are eligible to vote online, what are the benefits? Glenn, I, I think there are many benefits, but the, the top three uh, are that, one, it's secure. Number two, it's ex accessible. And finally, it's convenient. Uh, residents can cast their vote from the comfort of their home while they're on their go by using a, a supported device and a stable internet connection. And it's only going to take a few minutes. They can vote anytime, anywhere during the advanced vote period. Uh, you know, if you're waiting to pick up your kids from school, you can get it done sitting in the car on your mobile phone uh, or you're at the park enjoying some leisure time. So it, it is easy, it's secure, and it's accessible. If someone doesn't want to cast their vote online in the advance voting, what other options do they have? So, Glenn, online voting is just one of the uh, uh, options that are available to our voters here in the city of Vaughan. There are some other ways to vote if they cannot or choose not to vote online. During the advance vote from Thursday, October 6th until Thursday, October 20th, uh, they can vote in person at a voter assistance center. Uh, voter assistance centers, we will have uh, five throughout the city, and they will uh, be staffed with uh, City of Vaughan staff to help people go through the process. Uh, alternatively, uh, voters can also attend one of the Vaughan Public Library's locations where we'll have kiosks set up 
essentially for those who, who need a device or internet access, they'll be able to go to, to a library location and uh, do their online voting there. And finally, the one, the one last option, of course, is to vote at a polling station on voting day, which is Monday, October 24th. So they, they can always attend a, a location on that day. For people voting in person, what do they need to take with them to the polling station or to the advance polls? For anyone who's going to vote in person at a polling station on voting day, October 24th, or at a voter assistance center, identification is required before a ballot will be issued. Uh, identification must contain both the elector's name and qualifying address. And our, you know, our, our top three pieces of ID that we typically see will be a, an Ontario driver's license, an Ontario health card with a photo, uh, or an Ontario photo ID card. There's many other pieces of ID, Glenn, I, I, I need to point out, and too, too many to list, uh, list here today, but I, I would suggest if, if voters need to go beyond the top three there, then, then please have a look at our website at vaughnca slash elections for, other, for the full list of acceptable forms of identification. There, there's plenty to choose from, and, and uh, I'm, I'm confident that every voter will, will find some sort of ID that, that will allow them to vote. Todd, elections are always important, but it feels even more so in Vaughan this time around. A new mayor will be elected. Can you tell me about a couple of the other positions the candidates are running for? Yeah, thanks, Glenn. So in in this election, Vaughan voters will have the opportunity to elect the candidates for offices on both Vaughan Council and the local school board. Vaughan Council uh, consists of the mayor, uh, the local and regional councillors, and there are four seats available on Vaughan Council this year. Uh, So voters will have an option to select up to four names to uh, mark on their ballot. And then we have the five ward councillors. So there's one local councillor for each of the five wards, wards one, two, three, four, and five. Then if we move on to the school boards, uh, we have the York Region District School Board, there's the uh, trustees for Area 1, which uh, consists of the Vaughan Ward 1 and all of the Township of King. Trustees for Area 2 being Wards 2 and 3 in Vaughan, and then the trustee for Area 3 covering Wards 4 and 5. For the York Region Catholic District School Board, there are, uh, there's a trustee for Area 1, which coincides with Vaughan's Ward 1. Trustee for Area 2, which covers Ward 2. And then finally, trustee for Area 3, which consists of Wards 3, 4, and 5. And it's important to note there that uh, it will be um, two uh, people being elected from that area. So again, voters will have an option to select up to two names uh, on the ballot for for supporters of the uh, Catholic School Board. Then we have the French School Board Conseil Scolaire Viamond. That covers all of York Region, so uh, our French voters uh, will will be able to uh, vote for that position. And then uh, finally, the Conseil Scolaire Catholique Monavien, Near. Actually, we had an acclamation there, Glenn. So what that means is we only had one candidate register, and uh, Mr. Donald Blass has been declared the elected uh, representative uh, on that school board. For the complete list of offices, uh, obviously we're going through it fairly quickly today. We would uh, certainly invite voters to uh, visit our website at vaughnca slash elections. Certainly lots of useful information there for people to know and use come election day on October the 24th. Todd Coles, City Clerk for the City of Vaughan, thank you for joining us on the feed. Thank you, Glenn. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.